There's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that ought to be remembered by all preachers. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Let us pray. Dear Lord, you know that I am a clay pot. But I come bearing treasure, and I pray that these people see little of the clay and discover the treasure that is you. Amen. Well, it's a delight to worship with you, the saints of Memorial Church. I have long admired this church, this community, and its preachers, having read just about every word I could find by Professor Peter Gomes, and now enjoying the friendship and the wisdom of your professor and Pastor Jonathan Walton. To all of you, I am most grateful for your kind invitation to be with you. I've given much thought to what message would be helpful in the Harvard community. So I began by exegeting the word, Harvard. Now I'm sure that the folks on Harvard Yard get more than your share of stereotypes. After all, what parent in the world isn't just dying to begin the annual Christmas letter with, our Susie has started her freshman year at Harvard. But here's what I came up with. When I think of Harvard, I think of work. I think of scholarship, teaching, learning, researching, publishing, generally making a difference. When Harvard speaks, people listen. Because people at Harvard work hard, study hard, and you just generally know what you're talking about. So I've come to Memorial Church this morning to confess a great sin and admit to a heinous heresy that has me firmly in its grip. Steal yourselves for a terrible shock. I am a Sabbath breaker. It's actually a most widespread heresy. I have lots of company. It's a most admirable heresy indeed. I know I'm not alone. Lots of us are Sabbath breakers. I have a feeling that there are even perhaps a few quiet Sabbath breakers among the gentle people of Cambridge. Now, I've known very few pastors in my time who get up in the pulpit and preach sermons against adultery and then go out and quite publicly commit adultery. Oh, there have been a few. I've known few preachers who preach against thievery and then spend Sunday afternoon in petty larceny. But I have on numerous occasions preached on the fourth commandment then gone off to break it for the rest of the day full-time, big-time. And I've even been proud of it. Now, many of us can remember when the Sabbath 
commandment was filled with negations. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that on the Sabbath. The one thing you couldn't do on the Sabbath was enjoy yourself. Anything else was okay. How sad. Because, you know, that's exactly the opposite of the spirit of the Sabbath. I think God knew us well enough to know that we would struggle with this one because God had to explain it a lot. It took God four words to give us the commandment not to murder. It took five words to prohibit adultery. But God spends more than 75 words to command us to observe the Sabbath. It's a lot of explanation. This seems to suggest that in God's eyes, this idea of keeping Sabbath is more than a good optional suggestion. You know, the one you can ignore if you want to. It's no less than one of the Ten Commandments, the fourth one, to be exact. The word Sabbath actually means to cease, to stop. Most Americans work five days a week and then spend the weekend trying to do everything that needs to be done that you didn't have time to do during those five days, like go and do the yard and the house and all those sorts of things. The Sabbath day then is not a day of ceasing from work because the pressure of the work that needs to be done at home matches the pressure of the work that you have to do to earn a salary. To cease working on the Sabbath means you quit laboring at anything that is work. Activity that is enjoyable and freeing and undertaken for the purpose of accomplishment and not for the purpose of accomplishment qualifies as acceptable Sabbath time. In fact, the Sabbath was created for delight. My aim today, in these few minutes I have with you, is to give you two gifts, the gift of time and the gift of delight. On this subject, I commend to you Abraham Joshua Heschel's classic work on the Sabbath. In it, he makes the statement that the purpose of the Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. I want you to think about that, time rather than space. The other six days are all about space. And space, you know, is the realm of things. Things take up space. The things we build, the things we create, the things we work for, the things we own. In the Middle Ages, our ancestors celebrated thus this by building great cathedrals that held lots and lots of space, and we called it holy. But Heschel says that the Sabbath celebrates something different. The Sabbath celebrates time. He said that the Sabbath is a great temple, a great cathedral, not of space, but of time. Sabbath is awesome, soaring, wonderful time. Entering the Sabbath is like walking into Notre Dame Cathedral, only the vaults and buttresses are fashioned not of stone and wood, but of seconds and minutes and hours. Imagine such a cathedral. Beginning at the dusk, of twilight. You know, biblically, all days end, start with twilight, the evening. 
Eugene Peterson suggests that thinking about this might just help you sleep better. During the week, God begins the day, begins work in the evening. So while you're sleeping, God's gotten a half day's work done. God is halfway finished before you even get up. So that the work is halfway gone. Something else I haven't noticed until recently is that Genesis says that God finished work on the seventh day. Now, if God rested on the seventh day, why did God not finish on the sixth? Wouldn't that make sense? I was surprised to learn that God actually did create one thing on the seventh day. Heschel says that on the seventh day, God created Menuah. Now, what, you ask, is Menuah? Good question. It's the word we have usually translated rest, connected with the seventh day, but it's really more than rest. Perhaps the best translation, interestingly, is that on the seventh day, God created happiness. Happiness, peace, tranquility. In fact, it's the very word used for what poor Job yearned for in all his suffering. Oh, that I might find menua. What a good reason to revive the great practice of Sabbath. On the seventh day, God created happiness. Earlier, you heard two versions of the Ten Commandments, the one from Exodus and the one from Deuteronomy. We've already said that God had to do a lot of explaining of this fourth commandment. It was so unique. But did you notice the difference between the two? In the Exodus version, we observe Sabbath because in doing so, we are more like God. God who, God self-rested on the seventh day. For, a for 400 years, the Jews observed this time as a time of rest because they're like God. But then according to the Deuteronomy version, they did something else. For 400 years in slavery, they didn't have a day off. They were slaves in Egypt making bricks. They never took a day off. They never had a vacation. And so taking a Sabbath, stopping work, was proof that they were no longer slaves. This is not to say that work is wrong. Work can even be worship when done to the glory of God. However, a truly worshipful life alternates between regular days of work and a special day of stopping, as do the Jewish people, to rest and to fast and to feast. In these days before Passover, we do well to learn from the Jews how to observe Sabbath in a new way, to rediscover it. Some time ago, I joined the congregation of Temple Emmanuel in Dallas in their annual interfaith Shabbat service. The first thing that struck me in that service was the sheer joy with which they welcomed the Sabbath. As the sun is setting over the horizon on a Friday evening, and the Sabbath prayers speak of the Sabbath as a bride, welcomed to the joy of the people, and the first line of the Sabbath prayers by which they welcome the Sabbath is breathtaking. 
It's a prayer. Days pass. Time. And the years vanish. And we walk sightless among miracles. God, fill our eyes with seeing and our minds with knowing. Let there be moments when your presence like lightning illumines the darkness in which we walk. Help us to see wherever we gaze that the bush burns unconsumed and we, clay touched by God, will reach out for holiness and exclaim in wonder, how filled with awe is this place. And we did not know it. That beautiful prayer is a whole theology of Sabbath time. The problem with not observing Sabbath time is that we never stop. We never cease activity long enough to recognize the miracles that are all around us all the time. I think of fathers and mothers who don't take the time to enjoy the miracle of their children, and they miss it. I think of many of us who put off time just sitting with an old friend and then end up regretting the decision once they're gone. We walk sightless amid miracles. Heschel talks about how we've lost the distinction of time. Time has become a commodity, a thing to be traded, measured. He contrasts time with space, arguing that space is the real commodity we're after, and we use time to get more space, more property, more things, more power, more square feet. Thus the phrase time is what? Money. David Brooks, in his insightful book, Bobos in Paradise, observes the hedonism of Woodstock mythology has been domesticated and now serves as a management tool for the Fortune 500. Going on, he says, Americans haven't adopted European-style vacations. Instead, they pull all-nighters at Microsoft and come in weekends at Ben and Jerry's. Oh, sorry. They approach work with the fervor of missionaries. You think we've missed the point? The God of the Hebrews, Walter Brueggemann clips, says, on Friday night, says, I'm not going into the office tomorrow morning. I'm taking the day off. I've put in long hours every day, all week, and tomorrow I'm putting my feet up and enjoying all that I've accomplished. Work is not finished until it is enjoyed in rest, in delight. There is a deep and profound and fragile wisdom in that. Now for a little more confession by the preacher. I told you that I regularly break the Sabbath commandment. Now, by that I'm not just saying that of necessity I work Sundays. Even Jesus said it's okay for the clergy to work on the Sabbath. But the fact is that even those of us who must work Sundays, and there are plenty, are not off the hook. Jesus quoted the rabbis in saying, we are not made for the Sabbath, the Sabbath is made for us. 
If you have to work Sundays, then you pick another day. But if Sabbath time is welcoming a bride, then I'm afraid I have two brides who wonder why I'm not paying very much attention. Thus, my time is fragmented and far from what Sabbath is meant to be. When I fail to observe Sabbath time, then I am, face it, a slave. So what are we to do? How can we regain the preciousness of God-ordained Sabbath time? Well, for one thing, we can start by identifying whatever forms of slavery we're laboring under whether it's working at your job seven days a week, or being a slave to your iPhone, or watching TV too many hours of the day, or laboring under your favorite obsession. Whatever it is, declare your independence. For me, I covenant to welcome the bride of the Sabbath back into my life. It's been a long time since I've seen much of her. I will also borrow something from our Jewish neighbors and begin my Sabbath at sundown, not sunrise. Like the Jews, I'm going to light two candles, pink ones, for joy. One meaning remember, the other meaning observe. One from the Exodus commandment, one from the Deuteronomic commandment. And so I'll welcome the Sabbath with joy. What will it be for you? Write it down. Think about it. Share it with those you love. Try it. It might just change something about your life. This is what we, why we celebrate the Sabbath day. We join the generations of believers going all the way back to the early days of God's people, the Jews who set aside a day to remember that we are precious, you are precious in God's sight, honored in God's sight, and loved, profoundly loved, not because of what you produce. We say as Christians from Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. All grace is, you know, all grace is gift. Life is gift. Space is gift. Time is gift. It's all gift. And Sabbath is a grand opportunity to let God love you by entering into the vast and wonderful cathedral of time. In the words of the Sabbath prayer, let us make it our prayer too. Days pass, the years vanish, and we walk sightless among miracles. So, Lord, fill our eyes with seeing and our minds with knowing. Help us to see, wherever we gaze, that the bush burns unconsumed. Amen.